Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Ben Nord, our tech director, man, I like that bumper. I'd, I'd, I'd watch that whole movie right there, y'all. That was pretty good. <laughs> Revelation chapter one, starting a new message series entitled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. We're gonna walk through the book of Revelation together. I, I have found in my experience as pastor that when uh, I talk about Revelation or announce we're gonna start Revelation, there are two kinds of people. First is the kind of person that's like, yes, you know, because you have so many questions about the end of the world and the mark of the beast and the Antichrist, and you're all into this, and you're like, yes, uh, and you're going to be so disappointed by the time this is over, probably. Um, the other kind of person is just the, oh, brother, you know, kind of, you know, can't believe we're doing this again. Uh, some people are so turned off, and they honestly, so many of us have just been burned in the past by uh, series, uh, studies of the book of Revelation where pastors, teachers just made it so impossible to follow, so impossible to understand. I just approach things really simply. I believe that God's word is the Bible that he intended us to have. And if he thought we needed a chart with revelation, he'd have given us a chart. Or if he thought we needed a timeline, he'd given us a timeline. I mean, he just gave us his word and you can understand it. And all you have to do is read it. Um, as I say, people have made it so complicated in the past, basically by not reading it, but talking about it anyway. Um, I was in Walmart one day, you know, which is where you go for, you know, spiritual insight. Um, I, was at, I was at Walmart, I was checking out, and it's one of those days, that I'm, not, I'm not ragging on Walmart, you know, Walmart's amazing, it's, it's all good, but that day was not good. Um, I didn't want anything on the shelves. Like all the shelves were empty. Everything I went to Walmart for that day wasn't on the shelf at Walmart, just empty shelves. And so I was walking out uh, through the checkout line and the lady was checking out what I had picked up. And I just said, why are all the shelves empty today? And it was just my question, just an honest question. Why are the shelves empty today? And she said, well, it's in the book of Revelation. <laughs> so I said, Walmart's in Revelation, you know? Walmart's in, and she said, she looked around, she said, it's all in Revelation, you should read it. <laughs> so I'm thinking, my, I think I will, you know? Just, I'll read it one more time and look for Walmart, uh, apparently. It's all in there. And that's what I'm talking about. It's like, you know, I should read it, like I think I have read it. Uh, maybe you should read it uh, one more time and, and show me the Walmart verse. Um, and that's what I mean. Uh, people, uh, because Revelation uh, in so many ways seems to have a lot of symbols and puzzles, um, people feel like they can see anything they want or, or, or say anything they want about it without actually attending to what the text actually says. Uh, we're just going to jump into it. I'm not going to look at or require you to look at another guide. We don't need somebody else's commentary on Revelation. We're just going to read Revelation and, and read it and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. With all of that said, I just want to point out to you, turn to the very end of Revelation. There are 22 chapters. So go to chapter 22 and look with me the very last few verses, starting verse 18. For all of the just stupidity that has come out with the book of Revelation through the centuries, through the years especially, um, I just think it's really interesting that 
that these verses are here. The book of Revelation is literally the only book in the Bible that has a curse attached to it. It's a curse, an actual curse. And you find it beginning in verse 18. Uh, look at this. I solemnly de declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. That should terrify people, you know? Like, this is the information we have. The Bible does not, it just simply does not answer all of your questions about the end times. And, and I'll start Revelation by saying this, Revelation doesn't tell you everything you'd like to know, but I promise you it tells you everything you need to know about the end. It's God's word. He's given us what he wants us to know. It's not gonna answer all your questions. Uh, and, and there are blanks that aren't filled in for us. And just let me say, if you run across somebody who can fill in all those blanks, they are making stuff up. Uh, nobody gets to know more than the Bible knows. You don't get to know more than the book of Revelation. So if you can write, if you can take these little 22 chapters, which really isn't much, you can read it in one sitting. If somebody can take what's in the book of Revelation and write a whole nother book, or if they can write a series of books, oh my goodness, y'all, they have made up so much stuff. And on top of that, there's a curse that says, if you do that, like if, if you add stuff, like if you add Walmart, you know, um, I'm just saying, it, it says you really need to be careful. You don't get to know more than Revelation knows. So if you run across somebody that can tell you who the Antichrist is, well, you know, that's just something that the book of Revelation doesn't seem to reveal. Uh, either you've got a really smart man or just somebody who is under a curse. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You got to be careful. And I promise to be humble and careful. I'm, I'm not going to pretend to know more than the book of Revelation tells us, but let's try to learn everything the book of Revelation tells us. How's that? Let's start with chapter one. It's so good. Revelation chapter one, beginning with verse one. We'll read the whole chapter, all right? I'll just call your attention to a couple of things. It does get weird right away. Uh, there are symbols and images, but at the very same time, every single symbol and image is explained. Like, you don't have to wonder, what are the lampstands? It tells you what the lampstands are. It ain't Walmart. You know, it just tells you what it is. So just read it and understand it uh, because that's what God intends. He wants you to know his word. Revelation chapter one, verse one. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. That would be me. <laughs> and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. That would be you. For the time is near. So notice right there, Revelation starts with a blessing, ends with a curse. You see that? Blessing for those who read and understand. No, no, no. A blessing on those who read and obey. Read and obey. All right? Verse 4. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. 
All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit and suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the son of man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death in the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand in the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right, when you're reading anything, it always helps to uh, pay attention to what kind of thing you're reading. You know, for example, uh, you don't read a recipe the same way that you might read a love letter from your girlfriend, right? You don't read a, a chapter out of your history textbook in school the same way you might read a tweet, you know? You just pay attention to what you're reading and then you have a better sense of how to, how to understand it. So what you find out right from the beginning is Revelation tells you what it is. Verse one, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. This is a revelation. Um, that's the word. Uh, it's become the title, of course. We call it revelation, but it is a revelation. Something is being revealed. Now, the Greek word there, don't be confused by this. The Greek word is apocalypse. This is an apocalypse. That's the word there. Apocalypse has come over into our language. We use it to talk about the end of the world. So we would say The Walking Dead is an apocalyptic TV show. It shows like the end of the world. Apocalypse is the way we use the word like the end of the world. It comes from the way it's become associated with the book of Revelation. But, but literally when John says this is an apocalypse, a revelation, he literally means that. Apocalypse means to uh, literally to pull back a curtain. 
So you could say that there's been something hidden, something that's behind a curtain, but now we're pulling the curtain back so you can see. So, so this is what revelation is. It's a pulling back the curtain so you can see something that otherwise you might not see. So what is it, or more importantly, who is it that's being revealed? And, and, and it says it. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ. It's the same word, either from or of. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. So understand, the book of Revelation is meant to show you Jesus. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. We're pulling back the curtain so that you get an accurate picture of Jesus and who he is. You following me? This is a revelation of Jesus, simply. So please understand, if you read the book of Revelation and you come away more impressed by the Antichrist than you are by the Christ, you read it wrong. If you read the book of Revelation, you come away a lot more interested in the beast or the false prophet or the great prostitute at the end. If any of those characters loom larger in your imagination than the Lamb of God who was slain, understand, you read it wrong. Revelation is written and is intended to show you Jesus. So we're going to read Revelation together and we're going to look for Jesus. Because we're supposed to. We're going to find Jesus on every page, in every single line. Revelation is revealing Jesus to us. You with me? This is what it's for. Revelation is an apocalypse. It's a revelation of Jesus. Now, beyond that, notice that it's a letter. This revelation, this apocalypse, it comes to us in the form of a letter. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And people are like, oh, the seven churches. What are the seven churches? Well, y'all, there are seven churches in Asia. And verse 11 tells us the church in Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, the church in Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. It's seven churches. John writes a letter. God wants a message sent to seven churches, the seven churches, and we're told what churches they are. So don't be confused by that. It's a letter written to churches. God has a message for them. Now, let's start here. Understanding Revelation begins with asking what the letter would have meant to its first readers, the seven churches. I promise you, God didn't send them a letter that they would never be able to understand. God did not send them a message that if they thought long enough and got the right books and puzzled out all the meaning and found Walmart and identified the Antichrist and drew a long chart. I mean, no, no. God sent them a word. God sent them an urgent message. It's an urgent message, and it is expected that they're going to understand it. So for you and me, understanding it has to do with trying to figure out what it would have meant to them, the first readers in the seven churches. Notice that it says that, the, you know, that it concerns, look down, verse 19, write down what you have seen, the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. So some of what John is writing about is the stuff happening in these seven churches right then, like right now in that moment. So we have to kind of figure out what was going on with them so that we can understand what it would have meant when they read it. So understanding Revelation begins with asking what the letter would have meant to the first readers, the seven churches. It can't mean to us what it never would have meant to them. You understand? Like, like we can't bend it and turn it around and make it something that it never would have been 
for the original audience. I mean, John writes a letter with a message to these churches, and it's an urgent message. It's an urgent message to seven churches. Now, at the same time, the number seven in John is, is always an important number. He uses it all the time. And whenever you see the number seven, it just means perfect or complete or full. So when he says seven churches, he means seven churches, literally seven churches. But the number seven also suggests that this is a letter, a message for all the churches, the church of all time in every place. That's why we can read this letter to these seven churches and we still will find a message from God for us. You with me? So who are these people? Who are these seven churches and why do they need this urgent message? This is really the important part, I think, for us. And I would say that this is exactly why in the past when you've tried to read Revelation or when you've had a pastor who tried to read it to you, this is where we get confused because we don't understand, we don't understand who John was, who he was writing to, and what was going on for them. And the fact that we miss that means that we can't understand most of what he's saying. Um, it's, it's about persecution. You have to read Revelation through the eyes of persecuted believers. These are churches under persecution. That makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. These are churches under persecution. Uh, as far as the things that have already happened, which John talks about, understand it's the year 95. Revelation is written in about the year 95. Uh, it's toward the end of, the, end of that first, first century um, John is probably the last of the 12 still alive, and he finds himself on the island of Patmos. He's in exile. He is in, on a prison camp, prison island in exile, uh, and his only crime was what? I mean, it's right there, preaching the word of God. Yeah. So the Roman Empire, by the end of that first century, by about the year 95, uh, was actively persecuting Christians. The emperor at the time was a man named Caesar Domitian. Domitian was, again, the Roman emperor. Domitian was one of those first Roman emperors who declared himself God. Uh, he would force you to say Caesar is Lord. He erected gigantic statues of himself throughout the empire and would require that people would burn incense and offer sacrifices and pray to him. Caesar is Lord, they would say. Here's the thing. If you know anything about Roman and Greek mythology, they had all kinds of gods and goddesses, so they don't care. You know, if, if you want to add Caesar to the number, they just add Caesar and they'd burn incense and pray. They didn't care. They had all kinds of gods and goddesses. One more was nothing. Now, the Jews got a special exemption. They got it early when they came into the Roman Empire. So the Jews were allowed to continue worshiping in their temple, worshiping their one God. The Jews had an exemption legally, literally, but the Christians never did. So the Christians in all the empire simply refused to say that Caesar was Lord. And they refused to burn incense and they refused to offer sacrifices. They refused to bow down to Caesar. And for that reason, they were seen as enemies of Rome and they were persecuted and killed. You probably know the stories. I mean, Christians were thrown into the lion's den. They were thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. They were used for sport. There's so many stories in church history, agonizing stories of women and men who were cast you know, into the Colosseums naked and, and torn apart by animals. It's just 
awful. One of the emperors was famous for his hatred of Christians. He would take Christians and put them on top of poles and set them on fire and light his garden parties. So the Christians in the seven churches of Asia um, are in a peculiar spot. They are dying for their faith and they need a word from God and revelation is that word. So understand, John writes to Christians who are being pressured to quit their faith, to lie about it, to compromise it, or to die for it. That's what makes revelation, revelation. Understand this. But at the same time, most of us can't understand this. It's hard to explain necessarily why the United States has had such a different history when it comes to religious freedom, but we have, and, uh, and we thank God for that. On this 4th of July weekend, we should thank God for that. Um, we have church planting partners in the Philippines, and we send teams to the Philippines, and in the Philippines, pastors are, are killed all the time. Like churches that we help sponsor have Sunday after Sunday where the pastor will be killed in the pulpit. One of the pastors of a church in Philippines, the pastor is literally in the river baptizing and they shot him from the bank. They executed him from the bank. They killed him in front of the church, in front of the children, in the middle of baptizing, his blood flowed right down the street. But we don't know anything about, we don't, we don't know about that. I've preached every Sunday in this pulpit for 27 years and I've never for a moment thought that somebody could walk in the door and arrest me. We've never had to even imagine that somebody could come and round up the deacons and put them all in jail. But y'all, that's how the rest of the church has always lived. It's just us. I mean, ask, ask Freeman and Tare from Nigeria. There are parts of Nigeria that are the most dangerous places in the world for Christians to live. The most dangerous place on earth to live in regions of Nigeria where, where our friends are from. Everybody else understands this, but we don't. We don't. We've never, from, I mean, we've never been pressured to quit our faith. I mean, we complain like we have. I mean, you know, every December, somebody's gonna blow up Facebook because they walked out of Walmart and they didn't tell them Merry Christmas, and that's persecution. Oh my goodness, you've got to get serious. You know, you, know you, you told some friends at school that you went to church and they called you goody tissues and they made fun of you. Oh my goodness, you really think you're persecuted because somebody made fun of you? No idea, no idea. Not just how Christians live today, but how they've always lived. I mean, from the very beginning, Christians have faced persecution. They've died for the faith, just not here. Just understand that. We're different. Just here, we've never experienced it. Nobody knows anything about that. And that's why when we read the book of Revelation, it doesn't make sense to us because we can't read it through the eyes of, of a persecuted person. And that's why it doesn't make sense. In my churches growing up, pastors would read it and we all get afraid and we'd say, oh my goodness, could anything like that ever happen here? And our pastor would assure us, oh no, no, that could never happen here, you know? Like we read the book of Revelation, that's all we wanna know. Please tell me that I'll never have to suffer and I'll never have to lay my life down. I mean, that's kind of why we love the rapture, right? Because it just means we get taken out before anything bad happens to us. 
If you're gonna understand Revelation, then you have to read it from the perspective of believers who are dying for their faith. And they need an urgent word from God. And what they need more than anything else is a revelation of who Jesus is. They need to know who Jesus is. They need to see him as he is. They need to know him as he is because they need to know. They need to know that if they die for him, he's worth it. They need to know that. And that's exactly what we have here. It's beautiful. It's amazing. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. We're talking about Jesus Look, he comes with clouds of heaven and every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him. I love that. I don't know exactly how that's gonna happen. It's kind of beyond anything we could imagine. But all we're learning here is that this same Jesus, he's coming back. This world belongs to him. He's in control of it and he's coming back and he's gonna come back and every eye will see him. What that means is it's not like he's gonna come like, in the Eastern time zone, and then the rest of us find out an hour later, oh, did he come? It's not like he's just gonna go to Israel and then the rest of us will watch it on CNN. That, that's not what it says. It says that he will come and every single eye will see him at the same time, believers and non-believers. I mean, you're not gonna have to wait and hear some, have somebody tell you about it. You're gonna see him. You ain't gonna miss it. I promise you you're not gonna miss it. Every eye will see him. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I'm the one who is, who was always, and who is still to come, the almighty one. We're talking about Jesus here. They need to see Jesus. They need to know him as he is. They need to understand what he's worth. They need to know what he can do. They need to know that he is the ruler of all the kings of the world, including the demented Roman emperor who thinks he's God. No, no, no. This is the ruler of all the kings of the world, the first to rise from the dead, man. You gotta understand who he is. You have to know who he is. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the son of man. What are the lampstands? The churches, yeah, it says it right there. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. I mean, read it, y'all, it just, it tells you what it is. Seven lamps are the seven churches. So the first message here to these Christians in persecution is, is first off these lampstands. It's, it's the churches. They represent the churches. I love that. A lampstand is a source of light, right? And so each church is represented by this lamp that burns, the source of light, you know, because that's what we are. We're a source of light in, in, in the darkest of worlds. But beyond that, it says that the same, you know, Jesus who is among the lampstands holds the stars in his hand. The stars are the angels. Angels just means messenger. It's the messenger of the church, probably like the pastor. It's this whole idea that, that you may feel like nobody knows about you. I mean, these seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, these are major cities, but I promise you the churches are really small. I promise you, Woodburn Baptist Church is larger than any of those churches, all of those churches, maybe all of those churches put together. These are tiny little churches that the Roman Empire is determined to erase but to receive this vision, first off, of, of Jesus, this glorious Jesus who is moving among his churches, he knows them. 
He knows their church. He knows that they're there. He knows that they're struggling. He knows that the fire still burns there. He holds their pastor in his hand. You understand what a comfort that must be? He knows you, and that means he knows us. I mean, Jesus knows our church. It sounds like a small thing. Of course, he knows everything, but he knows us. He cares about us. He holds your messenger in his hand. Jesus is is the Lord of his churches. That's the first vision. Don't you know that must be comforting for these churches who wonder if God even knows, if God cares, when they watch their, their, their neighbors, their friends thrown into the Colosseum, devoured by animals, burned alive? Just a simple message that no, Jesus knows. Jesus is among you. Jesus is not gonna let your light go out. But then look at Jesus. Standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like a son of man, a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. Now understand, John is trying to describe the indescribable. You can't describe Jesus in all of his glory with words or pictures. And so he just piles up pictures and words to try to get you to understand, to try to capture what words can't say. His feet were like polished bronze or fined in a furnace. His voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. Like, what's that mean? Like, I mean, I know what you picture. You picture like, uh, you know, like a, a sword coming out of his, uh, you know. Um, again, He's using words and images to try to convey the glory, the power that belongs to Jesus and the words and the images, that they don't do it. They sort of fall apart, but still they point to the reality and the reality is Jesus' word is power. The word out of his mouth is like a sword, a conquering, you know, cutting, dividing, victorious sword. People read the book of Revelation or people who don't read the book of Revelation, they're all about the battle of Armageddon, like the battle, get us to the battle of Armageddon. Tell us where that's going to be, what's going to be. Spoiler alert, have you read the part about the battle of Armageddon? There is no battle. There is no battle. It's the lamest battle ever. Why? Because the armies of the world gathered to make war against Jesus and he just comes out with his word and says, enough. There's no battle. They can't fight him, you understand? And this is exactly the Jesus that the churches need to see. They need to see a picture of Jesus in his power, a picture of Jesus in his glory. I mean, what do you picture when we talk about Jesus? You picture this pale Galilean, this pale carpenter from Nazareth with stringy hair and a beard, you know, a white robe and flip-flops walking around. Like, is that what you picture? I mean, Jesus definitely became flesh and he walked among us as a man, a Galilean, a carpenter from Nazareth. I'm not saying none of that is accurate for that moment in salvation history, but Jesus is from all eternity, God. He was God in the flesh. In the flesh, that's how we saw him, but that's not how he is now. Churches need a picture of Jesus so they understand he is greater than Caesar, greater than all of the nations of the world. By the power of his word, he causes nations to rise and fall. By the power of his word, you understand, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He holds history in his hand. He is in control of all of it. He's watching over his churches. I mean, that's a word they need because if they end up dying for this Jesus, they need to know he's worth it. 
I don't know, know you, but I still am pretty sure that uh, your problem, spiritually speaking, is that you really, really don't know who Jesus is. You, you don't have a picture of him that's true. And you really need a revelation of Jesus too. I, I know we're not the persecuted church. It's very difficult for us to understand revelation, but let's just start right here. Revelation is meant to show us Jesus and you really need to see Jesus for who he is. I don't think you know him. I, I just worshiped with you guys and Craig and the team. They did a great job leading us, but I'm not sure that we have a picture of Jesus. I mean, we just talk about your worship. I mean, y'all were standing here like you were chewing on a Kleenex. I mean, you, you, half of you look like you were held at gunpoint, which tells me in your mind that you weren't even thinking about Jesus. And if you were thinking about Jesus, the, the Jesus that you were worshiping wasn't worth much, was he? You barely sing, you mumble words, you look at your watch, you wonder when it's over. You don't know Jesus. If you knew him, you'd worship him. If, if you knew him, he would inspire something in you. You need a fresh picture of who Jesus is. This little pale Galilean in, in, your, in your mind is pretty easy to say no to, isn't it? You need a picture of who Jesus is. The Jesus who comes in glory. The Jesus who loves us and freed us from our sins by shedding his blood. Who has all glory and power to him forever and ever. You need that Jesus. You need the Jesus whose face is shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. You need the Jesus that John says, when I saw him, I I fell at his feet as if I were dead. You need that Jesus, that Jesus. You need that Jesus, a Jesus of power, a Jesus of glory. Understand, you can live or die with great hope because of Jesus. Jesus, great hope because of Jesus. You can live or die. What does he say? I was dead, but now I'm alive forever and ever because I hold the keys of death and the grave. I hold the keys, Jesus says. That just means, you know, he, he's got the keys, which means he is the one in control of life and death. If he's got the keys to the grave, that means nobody goes into the grave and nobody comes out of the grave without passing through him. Do you understand? He is everything. All authority, all power in, in, in this life and in the life to come. It belongs to Jesus. You need a Jesus like that. Great hope, great hope is found in that Jesus and you can live or die with great hope. But some of you aren't living or dying with great hope. Some of you live with great anxiety, with great depression, with great fear, with great boredom. But, but it's not this great hope. Understand that these Christians could lay their lives down without fear because they knew that there was a Jesus on the other side who had the power over the grave. It doesn't matter if I live, it doesn't matter whether I live or die. Man, my life is in his hands and he is glorious and he is mighty. I can live or die with great hope. Understand? You can't have strong faith in a weak, in a weak Jesus. You can't have strong faith in a weak Jesus. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is weak. I'm saying your Jesus is weak. The, the way you think about it. You say, Pastor Tim, you don't, you don't know what I think. <laughs> I don't know what you think, but I've heard you pray sometimes, or I've noticed how hard it is to get you to pray. What kind of Jesus are you actually praying to? You ever listen to yourself pray? I mean, for that matter, do you pray? Like, I'm not saying when the pastor says every head bowed, let's pray together. I mean, like during your week, do you just pray? 
Because the fact that you don't or that you don't very often just tells me that you don't know who Jesus is. You have no idea the power that he has to bless your life. You have no idea that he is truly a God who does impossible things. When's the last time you prayed for something impossible? You pray to this itty-bitty God. You pray to this itty-bitty Jesus who doesn't seem to have a whole lot of power. He doesn't even have enough power to bring you back to prayer like the next day. I mean, you don't understand what I'm saying? You're never gonna have strong faith in a weak Jesus. I mean, your faith depends upon what you put your faith in. And you need to understand who Jesus is, the power and glory that belong to him. You need a Jesus of power. You need a Jesus of great glory. I mean, just for life, for prayer, for everything. You need to know that there is a Jesus who is capable and powerful to command your life. I mean, right now, you need to know that there is a Jesus who is powerful enough to repair your marriage. Like right now, some of you in your marriage, you could walk away because you think can't nothing fix this dude, can't nothing fix this woman, and I'm telling you, you don't know Jesus. Well, you don't know my husband. I probably know your husband, actually. He's hard-headed, he's hard-hearted, and I know one thing, Jesus can melt his heart. Jesus can melt anybody's heart. I mean, Jesus can do all things. You need a Jesus like that. You need a Jesus when you're praying over your children. You need a Jesus who is strong, a Jesus who is mighty and glorious. You need that kind of Jesus to help you through your addiction. You need this Jesus to help you battle your habits and your hangups. You need a Jesus who has this kind of power. You can't have strong faith in a weak Jesus. It's the reason most of you walk in and out of here every single Sunday. You don't ever surrender. You don't ever say yes to Jesus because your Jesus is just so easy to say no to. John comes face to face with Jesus and what does it say? When I saw him, I looked at my watch and asked, how much longer is this gonna last? Notice it was Sunday and he was in worship. When I saw him, I thought, Lord, I hope this isn't going to take a long time, you know, because only one restaurant on Patmos, Chick-fil-A closed. Um, His face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. I fell at his feet like a dead man. And I just say this, if, if the Jesus that you know inspires no shock, no fear, no awe in you, then you don't know Jesus. Just one glimpse of him in his glory. And John just assumes that, that he's dead. It's that overwhelming, you know. Have you ever had an experience with Jesus that that inspired that kind of response in you? Have you ever just understood his greatness, his power, his, even his presence? Have you never seen him in his glory? I don't know what you imagine. I don't know what kind of Jesus you think we're dealing with here. But I just wanna let you know that if the Jesus that you're praying to just never ever stirs your heart with fear or awe, if you never become absolutely you know, overwhelmed, flattened, by who he is and what he can do, then I'm not sure you've ever seen him at all. Jesus is never not powerful. Jesus is never not glorious. If you haven't seen him in his glory, I don't know that you've seen him. He is never not almighty.
This little bitty Jesus that you uh, deal with, you ignore, you pray to sometimes. Most of you just walk away from him. I'm telling you, I'm not sure you know who Jesus is. But you really need to know who Jesus is. This is why this urgent message is sent to the churches. First, the seven churches in Asia, because they really needed to know that this Jesus they were about to die for, he was going to be worth it, and he would be waiting for them on the other side in glory. They needed to see him and know him as he was. And I'm telling you, we're in a very different situation in the United States right now. But I still think what we need more than anything is to see Jesus the way he is. We need to see him as he is so that we understand that he is worthy of whatever cost it would bring us to serve him. We have to lay our lives down. We have to surrender ourselves. We have to do in freedom what other people would die to do. So when this urgent message comes to us at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, it's of all things a revelation of Jesus. Every page, every image, every bit of this is meant to help you understand who Jesus is. Because if you don't understand who he is, you don't know him. If you don't know him, you're lost. And time runs out. You don't want to get to the end and not know him. Pray with me.